Well, we're continuing our series of messages entitled Survivor 2015. And the context of our uh, messages has been the uh, wonderful little book in the New Testament, the book of James. James was written by, at least tradition tells us, the, uh, st- the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, he probably wrote it somewhere in 55 to 60 A.D. He was martyred in 60, uh, excuse me, 55 to 60 A.D. He was martyred in 62 A.D. And he wrote this book in the context of tremendous persecution in the ancient Near East. A tremendous persecution, especially for the Christians. Um, what we see happening to the Coptic Christians in uh, Greece and, uh, and Syria and other parts of the Middle East, uh, that kind of intense persecution by ISIS was present in the world under Nero. This kind of context causes all kinds of questions to be asked. Lord, how long? <laughs> Lord, why? All of these questions. And what James does in his book is very practically says, listen, what you need in times of great distress and great persecution is you need to stand tall in Christ. You need integrity. You need to, what you believe to be actually what you, uh, what you embrace and actually how you live. In other words, the head knowledge of the Bible, the Word of God, needs to get into your heart. And then that Word in your heart needs to get into your hands and your feet and your mouths. That's the Word of God that's alive. It's not just a word that's in your head, it's a word that's lived out. That's integrity. Taking two pieces and putting them together, what you believe and what you do, that's a life of integrity. And then uh, James goes on and talks about how difficult it is to maintain a life of integrity in the midst of trials and temptations and testings. And he talks about trials and testings as being those things that happen to all of us because we live in a broken world, that happen to all of us, and to recognize that Christ is in those things, situations with us, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's in those situations with us, and he's on the other side of those situations as well. So trials and testings, he said, take heart, be of good cheer, you can do this, because I'm in it with you, and I'm on the other side of it. So that's testings and trials. And then he talks about temptations, which is a completely different animal. Temptations, he said, temptations are just something out here that's benign. It has no, it's amoral, it's just a temptation. But when that temptation is married to or attached to your own strong desire, your designer bait, whatever it is that's your Achilles heel, when that temptation is attached to your own strong desire, that gives birth to something else and that something else is sin. And when that sin is fully gestated and that sin is fully alive in you, that sin gives then birth to death. And this is very strong language from James. He says that's the sin cycle and that's what you have to be very careful of. A man of integrity, a woman of integrity is not a person who says I believe, but a person who says I believe and then they live out their faith in real life in spite of temptations, in spite of trials, in spite of testings. And then he gives a couple of examples. He said one way to live out a life of integrity is uh, when you come in contact with people that are different from you. And he used the example of the rich man that came into the temple and also the homeless guy that came into the temple and how they were treated differently. And he says, you are to have no favoritism. You are to have no impartiality because all people are God's creations. We need to treat them all with respect and love. And anytime you put somebody else above another person, that's partiality, that's bias, that's prejudice. And there's no room for that in a Christ follower. In the world, 
We should be the people who don't we and they them. In the world, we should be the people that say, we will love our enemies. In the world, we should say, you know, those people that are doing terrible things, ISIS and others, yes, it's wrong. I hope they come to justice. So we're going to pray for them that they come to Christ and, and actually repent of their sin. We are different than other people. We are expecting God's love to flow through us to everybody, even those who are different from us. And then last week we talked about the importance of, again, this man, man or woman of integrity, this idea that gets in your head, okay, I know the word of God, I know what the Bible says, letting that sink into your heart, and then let it come, come through your hands, through your feet, and through your mouth. And he said last week he talked about beware of the tongue. How many of you this week were aware of the tongue? Okay, good. Three of you. No, I, no, no, there's more than that. But, uh, and I wonder how many of you this week had complete control over your tongue? Okay, good. None of you are liars, so that's good. <laughs> because, because, because you know what? James says this is, a, this, is a, this is a problem. I mean, this is troublesome. You know, this little two-ounce slab of muscle and nerve, this can give you problems. And so we looked at that last week, and here's the deal. A person with integrity knows the love of Jesus in their life, and they live that love of Jesus to other people, and it comes out of their mouth. So instead of coming out with cursing, which we know that our mouths can do both cursing and blessing, instead of coming out with cursing, our tongue comes out with blessing, and we even bless our enemies. So we are to have that kind of control over our tongue. So he continues this thought of what it means to be a person of integrity in the next section of our text this morning in chapter 3. And we're talking today about surviving selfishness or the pursuit of wisdom. We put together many times two things. We put together age and wisdom. You know, we talk about the wisdom of age or wisdom beyond your years or older and wiser. I wonder if you really buy that. I mean, I've known a lot of old people that are far from wise. <laughs> and I've known a lot of young people that are pretty wise. I'm not sure how much it has to do with age. In fact, it does, according to James, it has almost nothing to do with age. But the older I get, the more I realize how much I want to be a, a follower of Christ who is wise. Getting older. Every time I look in the mirror, I realize that I'm getting older. Now, compared to a Galapagos turtle, I'm still doing good. But uh, compared to human beings, you know, I'm on the home stretch. It's hard getting old. Dave Barry, one of our favorite comedians, says this. You know you're getting older when you try to straighten out the wrinkles in your socks only to find you aren't wearing any, okay? <laughs> so that, that's a sign you're getting old. At 20, we don't care what the world thinks of us. At 30, we start to worry about what the world thinks of us. At 40, we realize the world isn't thinking of us at all, okay? <laughs> and he says further, I've gotten to the age where I need my false teeth and my hearing aid before I can ask where I left my glasses. <laughs> 50 is when you stop patting yourself on the back and start patting yourself under the chin. And then he goes on and, and writes this paragraph. As a person starts aging... You need to take time to learn about the biological changes that are taking place within your body so that you'll be better able to understand and cope with the inevitable and completely natural elements of the aging process. The minor aches and pains, dental problems, intestinal malfunctions, muscle deterioration, 
emotional instability, memory lapses, hearing and vision loss, seizures, growths, prostate problems, greatly reduced limb function, massive coronary failure, death, and of course, painful hemorrhoidal swelling. That can make up this exciting adventure we call aging. So young people, get ready. It's going to be a ride for you. Now, here's the deal. As we get older, we're supposed to get wiser. I wonder if you feel any wiser the older that you get. St. Augustine said this, the greatest good is wisdom. The greatest good is wisdom. Fitting words considering what James teaches in chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 3 of the book of James. I will be looking at verses 13 through 18. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Many of you have the NIV. It's very similar. Uh, the scripture is on your, uh, the screen. It's in your sermon notes. Take out your iPads, your iPhones, your smartphones, your anythings, and um, some of you even go old school, you know, like this, you know. <laughs> Whatever you have, it's the Word of God. And at this point in the sermon, I want to say to you, Read your Bibles. It's an amazing book. You will find incredible things there that will actually change your life. So read your Bibles. And that's what we're going to do now. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 12, excuse me, 13 through 18. This is the word of God for the people of God. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it now by living an honorable life, doing good works, with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is at first uh, is above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. May God add the blessing of his word to us. James contends here that wisdom from God is not merely something which is intellectually understandable or attainable. It must be demonstrated practically in the way we live our lives. It must be seen in our hands, in our feet, and in our mouths. Well, what does this little word wisdom mean? The Greek word is Sophia which means the right or proper application of knowledge. There's a lot of people in our world that are very smart and have a lot of knowledge. Wisdom is something altogether different. It is the right or proper application, hands, feet, mouth, application of knowledge. In other words, wisdom is doing life God's way. Wisdom is doing life God's way. Now, the presenting question of the text that I mentioned earlier from verse 13 is this. Who is wise in understanding among you? Okay, look around. See if you can see any wise or understanding person around you. Most of you are shaking your head no. Well, there probably is some wise and understanding people among us. But how do we define those people? How do we find 
those people? Who among you is an expert, a specialist at, at doing life God's way? Now, before we can even try and answer the question, before we can theorize or philosophize or theologize, right? Before we can get a picture of a wise person in our mind, James gives us the answer. He said, let him show it by his good life. Let him show it. Let him show his wisdom by the way he lives his life. What he does with his hands, his feet, and his mouth. Let him show it by his good life. I thought about, well, who can I tell you about that was truly a wise person like this? And here's the person I came up with. My maternal grandmother. Now, I know you're saying, okay, so cliche. You know, our grandmas were perfect. No, they weren't perfect. But this grandma was truly a wise woman. I remember when I was just a teenager, we lived right next door to them. And if I had a question or... I used to have all these weird, wild questions about science and the Bible and how those things work. And that's the way my, and I wanted to answer all these things. And my dad was the kind of guy that said, well, just, you know, shut up and believe, you know. And so that didn't, that wasn't real helpful. But my grandmother, even though she had very little education, was a very wise person. And I would go to her and I'd ask her these, these exorbitant, big questions. And she would always have the most thoughtful, caring, godly answers. She'd say something like, well, son, have you, have you prayed about this? Have you prayed about what, what, you know, what God wants to say to you through this? And, and then she'd tell a story about when she was a little girl or a teenager and how that she had trusted Christ for a situation. She was always pointing me to Jesus. She was always pointing me to Jesus, a woman of great wisdom. When she was uh, older, her, her last years, uh, she died in 1994 at the age of 96. She was born in 1898. Did she see some things in her life, right? You know, incredible. But I remember the last couple of years of her life, she was at the Mount McGill Village, and she was bedridden most of the time. And she used to, like most people in that situation, say, why is God keeping me around? Well, we all knew why God was keeping her around, because of this incredible wisdom and love for Jesus. And she used to have her breakfast in the morning, and then her task for the next half day, for the next four hours, was to pray for her kids and her grandkids and her great-grandkids. And she prayed for each one of us for like 15 minutes. And a great woman of wisdom, great uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And her life was an expression of her faith. It wasn't that she just had faith and had knowledge and could quote scripture, but her life was a direct correlation of her faith. Let him show it by his good life. Now this morning, I'd like to flesh this out from James' uh, paragraph here uh, and answer the question, who is wise among you? And we're going to do that by looking at the two types of wisdom that James talked about. He talked about wisdom from below, wisdom from the earth, and wisdom from above. And now we've, in past times, uh, past sermons, we've talked about uh, the contrast between the little kingdom and the big kingdom, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And so uh, this is the contrast of those two kinds of things. Now all of us we know we all live in this kingdom of man. We all live in this earth. We all are on this blue planet for a reason. And so we want to live well on this planet. But we also know that the world is kind of going the opposite direction to Christ followers. 
I mean, Satan is the god of this world. And everything that we kind of, all the, the morals and all of the values that we want as Christ followers, living life God's way, is just kind of the opposite of the way that the world is going. And so there's going to be that conflict and that contrast. But we're to live in this life faithfully. How do we do that? Well, James uses this contrast, and the way, the way I see it, <coughs> excuse me, the way I see it is choose, excuse me, choosing whether or not, thanks honey, choosing whether or not we bend a knee to the earth or we bend a knee to the Father. Uh, we, we bow to the kingdom of the world and say, okay, this is where I'm going to get my pleasure. This is where I'm going to get my success. This is where I'm going to get the substance of my life. I'm going to bend a knee to the earth or I'm going to bend a knee to the Father. James talks about that contrast. And the first one is, what does it look like, literally, to have wisdom from below? Okay? Verses 14 through 16. Let me read those verses to you again. But if you are bitterly jealous, key phrase there, and there is selfish ambition, another key phrase, in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. This wisdom from below, the source of this wisdom is earthly, unspiritual. Literally, he says, it's demonic. One of the very few times, by the way, in the Bible where the word demonic is used. Now, demons are mentioned many times. But the word demonic about some activity is used very seldom. And this is one of those times. So there's something about bowing to the earth. There's something about bending a knee to our world and our culture and our society. It's something about that that's really, really bad, James says. And so we investigate that. Now, Paul says in another place, talking about wisdom, in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 20, he says these words. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved, Christ followers, know it is very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So this, this wisdom of the world, which on surface seems so amazing and so wonderful, he said that's going to be discarded someday. That's not going to be there for the long haul. Okay, that's not going to sustain you, is what he's saying. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. So Paul is affirming what James has said. So there's, this, there's these two different worlds, the kingdom of man, the kingdom of God, the little kingdom, the big kingdom, bending a knee to the earth, bending a knee to the Father. All of these things, are, we're choosing where we're going to get the source of our power and our joy from. Where does that source come from? James says there's only two choices, bend a knee to the earth or bend a knee to the Father. Such things have an appearance of wisdom, Paul said in Colossians 2.23, with their self-imposed worship and their false humility. What exactly is this earthly wisdom? Well, James tells us. It's characterized by two things. The first thing is bitter envy, or in the NIV, uh, bitter jealousy. Bitter envy, bitter jealousy. Let me tell you what that looks like. Okay, bitter jealousy is this. I want it, and I want more of it. 
and nothing's going to stop me from getting it. I want it. It's kind of like being a two-year-old all over again. You know, two-year-olds, I know we have these amazing little two-year-olds in our church, but every single one of them, the first word they learned was no. It wasn't da-da, and it wasn't mama. No, it was no. And by the way, if you still have kids, they're going to use that word a long time. <laughs> they don't stop using it until they have kids. You know, then they say, where did that come from? So, so no. So this kind of bitter envy, this kind of, I want my way. I want to do it my way. Now, the best example of that is, uh, now, when God created men and women, okay, Garden of Eden and all that, before he created them, he created a whole roster of angels. Okay, now angels, by definition, are messengers, right? So he made all of these angels, and he made angels without bodies. We, had, we got the privilege of having bodies, but he made angels in the same way he made us, and that's with a free will, right? You say, why didn't God, wasn't God kind of goofy and giving us free will? Because that's what's gotten everybody in trouble. Well, you know what? The opposite of it, if you think about the consequences of not having a free will, you're a puppet, you know, you're just a robot, and how can you love a God if you don't have a choice to not love God? So he chose to give us a free will, and he gave the angels a free will. So there's this magnificent angel, and he would have been one of the top three, along with, you know, Michael and Gabriel, one of the, one of the biggies, one of the really great angels, and uh, his name was Morning Star. And we get a glimpse of that in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. Let me read you just a couple of verses about this. It says this, How have you fallen from, speaking to this angel, How have you fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven. I will raise my throne before the stars of God. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. <laughs> this angel said, it's not good enough to be one of the really coolest beings in the universe, an angel, right? I want to be like the Most High. I want to be like God. In fact, I want to su supplant God. I want to be God. Well, that angel, Morning Star, turned into Lucifer, Satan, right? And that's what we have to deal with today. But that's where this... I want it, and I want it now, comes from. Remember the movie, What About Bob? When Bob's talking to the psychologist at the, at the lake, he said, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. It's just like us. When we bend a knee to the earth, when we say the earth will satisfy us, I want more, I need more, there has to be more. I need more money, a better relationship, a better job. I need better cars, better houses. I need more, I want, I want, I want. That is this very thing we call bitter envy, the drive to acquire. Warren Buffett, Donald Trump, Bill Gates, Gordon Gekko, remember the movie Wall Street? Hitler, remember those guys? I want more. Wisdom for those would come down to what I can acquire, what I can accumulate, how I can have more. But then James uses another phrase besides bitter envy. He says, selfish ambition. The earthly wise person is one who has the world figured out. How to make it work. How to make it work for you. That's what that text means. At least in part, that answers the question that many of us have always had questions about. We've asked the same question that Jeremiah asked in Jeremiah 12.1, right? How many of you times have you asked this question? Why does the way of the wicked prosper? 
Why do the faithless live at ease? You know, we've asked that question. Why do the evil prosper, right? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they're riding the crest of the wave. <laughs> the whole salt society, the whole culture, the whole world, when you bend a knee to the world, you're riding the quest, and everybody's going in this direction, and it's going fast, and you're on top of it, and you're gaining things, and the world says, you're amazing if you have a lot of money. The world says, you're amazing if you're in politics. The world says, you're amazing if you're a star athlete or a rock star. You're amazing, you're amazing. And the world says, yeah, you're riding the crest of the wave. The reason that the evil seem to prosper is because they're going the right direction. They're going the direction of the world. We're the ones that are going the wrong direction. They've pretty much figured it out how we do life in this world. This type of wisdom is, is more anxious to display self than truth. It is wisdom concerned with getting ahead and getting heard, even if it means crawling up someone else's back. Earthly wisdom likes to hear itself talk and be heard by others. Those with earthly will, will, uh, wisdom would say, like Shakespeare said, this is a great quote from Shakespeare, quote, I am Sir Oracle, and when I open my lips, let no dog bark. <laughs> Isn't that a great quote? I mean, Shakespeare really knew the human condition. That's wisdom from below. Earthly wisdom is focused on what I need, what I want, what I can accumulate, what I can accomplish in this world. And when you have come to believe that that will satisfy you, James says that's called bitter envy. Now, there's an example of this that's a wonderful example in the Bible. Uh, it's in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, that book means preacher. Uh, most people traditionally believe that Ecclesiastes was written at least predominantly by Solomon. Solomon, right, you know that name. Even if you're not a Christ follower, you know that name because Solomon is a name for someone who's very wise. Now, in 1 Kings 3, we have a picture of Solomon kind of has everything. He's got it all together. He's the really together guy in the world. And God loves him because he has a heart for God. And God says this is kind of like a genie, you know, three wishes only. Solomon got one wish. He said, Solomon, name one thing you'd like and I'll give it to you. Now, he could have said more money, that's bending a knee to the earth. He could have said more houses, that's bending a knee to the earth. He could have said, I, I bet a better job. I mean, how can you have a better job? You're already the king, right? And so, and so I, I, but do you know what he said? He said, I want what? Wisdom. I want wisdom. And God blessed him with that wisdom. Well, out of that wisdom came uh, this book of Ecclesiastes. And if you look in Ecclesiastes, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can glance there real quick. Uh, Ecclesiastes is... Uh, go to open your Bible, kind of right in the middle, if it's a whole Bible, that'll open up to Psalms. Might open up to Job, but forget that. It'll open up to Psalms, and then turn right and go two books, okay? Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. So uh, that, that's, uh, that's where we're at just for a moment. I want to read you a, a wonderful passage. So Solomon is talking about, he's kind of uh, opining about, well, what would it like to have this, the wisdom of the earth? You know, what would it be like to really have what the world wants uh, to, us to have? You know, bending a knee to the earth, what would that look like? And so in chapter 1, uh, verse 17, this is what he says. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. He's talking about I'm going to learn the wisdom of the world, right? But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind, <laughs> 
pursuing all of this, bending a knee to the earth, trying to accumulate all the things the world says will satisfy you, riding the crest of the wave, uh, all of that will uh, be like chasing the wind. He said, to, the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Isn't that amazing? And then he goes and says, okay, so let me tell you what I did. Solomon's, now whether he actually did this or he's just telling the story, we don't know. But Solomon says, let me tell you what I did to find this earthly wisdom. The first thing I did is I, I went after pleasure. Okay, right? It's the first thing most of us do. Make me feel good. Okay? Sex, drugs, alcohol, job, person, make me feel good. Uh, he says, verse, uh, chapter 2, of ver verse 1, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the things in life, but I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly, what good does it do And to seek after pleasure? So he tried pleasure, didn't work. He said, okay, now what else can I, I know what I can do? I can accumulate. Verse 4, but I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. So he said, I tried pleasure, didn't work. I mean, it works temporarily, but not permanently. I, I tried accumulations to having bigger houses, bigger barns, bigger everything. That didn't work. And then verse 9, it says this. So I became great. Listen to this. This is great. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. He said, I became the greatest person in the world ever, right? And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. Talking about bending a knee to the earth. Talking about saying, okay, this is what's going to really satisfy me. Then listen, I even found great pleasure in hard work. Some of you young people don't understand that. Uh, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Solomon and all his wisdom said, listen, I tried the earth thing. I tried the kingdom of man thing. I, I pursued pleasure. I pursued wealth. I pursued possessions. And all of it was like chasing the wind. It just doesn't work. You find a similar story in Job 28. Read that when you get home. But listen to what Job says in verse, chapter 28, verse 23. God understands the way to wisdom and he alone dwells there. And that brings us to our next point, wisdom from above. God understands the way to wisdom, and he alone dwells there. So it's not that God can just point the way to wisdom. He said, I'm standing there. You want wisdom? God says, here I am. I am wisdom. So this wisdom from above, look at James 3, 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, remember you're trying to live a God-like life, if you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. So the question we asked at the beginning of the message was this, who among us is wise? And James' answer is this, that person who does good deeds in humility, that person who knows about the love of God, has experienced the love of God, and now gives the love of God and speaks the love of God to all people, not just some people, not just the people we like, not just the people in church, but to all people. That is a person who is truly wise. When you bend a knee to the earth, all of the things that we have come to believe will satisfy, don't satisfy. But God said, listen, I am standing there ready to not only grant you wisdom, I'm standing there to be 
wisdom for you. Deeds can be done in meekness when we put ourselves under the control of God. The song that Ryan led us in about submission, such a powerful song to me. Now, part of it, I knew what I was going to be preaching, right? But that powerful aspect. Do you know how powerful it is to submit to another human being? What honor you're giving to someone, what power you're giving them. When you bend a knee to the earth, you're giving all of your power away. But when you bend the knee to the Father in heaven, the one who is wisdom, whose wisdom stands before you, the one who wants to give you all of these good things and give you the ability to live your life fully for him with your hands, your feet, and your mouth. Submission to the Father. Not out of your need for approval, not out of your need for success or to acquire wealth, but it's submission to God, giving our lives completely under control to our Father. That's what it means to bend a knee to the Father. Job said it this way, the fear, which means reverential awe, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. So let me show you what this looks like. We'll close. Here's what the fear of the Lord in reverential awe looks like. So when a king was ready to anoint a soldier to be a great soldier of the king, he would have him bow before him. He would take a sword or a scepter he would place that sword or that scepter on the soldier's shoulders and he would anoint him to be the king's servant. So this man bows before the king and then when he is done being anointed, the king says to him, now stand up into, into, in front of your king. Stand up to your king. And the man would stand up and then he would give him the authority to go. Now here's what it meant to be anointed by the king. It meant that all of the king's resources were his. Horses, chariots, swords, men, money, all of the king's resources now belongs to that soldier. When you bow before the Heavenly Father, all of his resources are yours. All of them. Especially his wisdom. Especially his love. Especially his mercy and grace, all of the things that are God's become yours. And then here's what the Father says to you. Now, child of God, stand up. Stand up, your face me. Stand up. You are now anointed to go and serve the Lord. You are now anointed to go and fight the battle against that world that's going on a crest of a wave this way. You are announced to go and you counteract that with the love of Jesus, with the gospel of the good news of Christ. You go and stand strong in the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, so often we, uh, we are so convinced at different times in our lives that, that bending a knee to the earth is the only way to go. Because it offers us all the bling and all the opportunities and all the stuff that seems to be so satisfying, but then we find out that it's just like the wind. It goes away so quickly. Father, help us never to bend to that bitter envy or that selfishness, but help us instead to bend a knee to our Father in heaven, to be anointed by him to carry the wisdom of God, the love of God into a dark and Christless world. Help us to stand tall into Christ and to live our lives fully 
for him. Father, this is the word of God, and may it be our word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.